I want you to think back to your time in school. Some of you are in school right now. Uh, but I want you to think back to a teacher. And I want you to think back to your favorite teacher. I know you might have a couple. Pick one. No doubt when I ask that question, um, somebody comes to mind. A teacher comes to mind. Now here's the, here's, I want to follow up, and here's what I would like, I would like from some response. <clears throat> Tell me why they're your favorite teacher. Why that person's name, face, whatever, memory, was the one that popped up to you. <clears throat> Okay, they cared. All right, good. I think it's raining. What else? Okay, they didn't talk about themselves. All right, they were passing the torch, empowering the student, maybe. Okay, good. What else? Okay, <laughs> story of my life. He made me learn even when I didn't want to. Good, what else? Who else? What else did they, why, why are they your favorite? Out of all the teachers that you've had, that one stands out, that person stands out. Why? A loyal okay, a loyal friend. Even as a student, you sense that they were friends. Okay, good. Loyal, too. What else? Why did they come to your mind? Anybody? Okay, passionate about what they taught. Interesting. <clears throat> when I when I whenever you ask a question like this, you got to have your own answers in your head too. Um, when I was uh, in the ninth grade. Um, going into high school, I was just a, I'm just an average student, skating through, getting grades good enough to play football and baseball. And I took a class from Miss Janet Cannell. And uh, it was called Science for Ninth Graders, I guess, Science 9. And I enjoyed her teaching. I enjoyed her personality. Later, I took biology one from her, and then I took biology two from her. And it was interesting because it was not always a friendly, warm environment, thanks to me being a punk, loudmouth kid. But one of the things Miss Cannell did was that she cared. We always saw that. And she wouldn't let me get away with things. It's interesting because my family had no college background. My grades were terrible in high school. I, terrible. They were average. They weren't college grades. I hadn't even thought about going to school. One day, Miss Cannell pulls me aside and she says, Robert, 
you could go to college if you really wanted to try. And that changed everything. Because of those kind words and her care, I went on to school on academic probation because my grades were terrible. But one of the things about Janet Cannell, she's actually a Facebook friend of mine. She's about 180 right now. Well, maybe a little less. But she, Her care for her students was obvious. I remember standing in front of her desk pleading my case for her to move my grade from a 79, which was a C, this is Alabama, a C to an 80 B minus. And I'm, I'm pleading, I'll take out the garbage, I'll whatever you, just move it, just, just bump me. No, you didn't earn it. You're not going to get it. You see, even in that, she cared. Now, let me throw this out at you. How many of you have ever had a bad teacher? Why does that person pop into your mind? Probably just the opposite. You know, maybe they didn't care. Maybe they, they just were skating through, you know, letting you get away with anything. It's interesting. I bring this up because I want to talk about the grace of God this morning. And, and the reason, when we think of God's grace, a lot of times it's, I'm saved by grace. That's, that's huge. Um, uh, grace sustains me. Grace saves me. Grace, um, um, you know, uh, Jesus came in grace and truth. Paul says in 2 Timothy 2, 1, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. But have you ever thought that our passage this morning tells us something else about grace? And it's that grace teaches us. In your Bible, let's look at our text. It's uh, Titus chapter 2. Let's, I'm going to read the text and we'll walk through it. But he says this. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Now let me just make a, a, a statement of preface. He's not saying that the grace of God saves everyone just at the outset. He is saying that the grace of God was manifested to all people. And we would say that all mankind has experienced the grace of God in that the Lord Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world. But he's not talking about a universal salvation. In fact, until a person trusts Christ as their Savior, they're dead in their trespasses and sins. It's when you and I make a decision to trust Christ as our Savior, the Bible says we pass from death to life. Our sins are forgiven. Ephesians 2 tells us before we're saved, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. So we think of the grace of God that way. I'm saved by grace. Christ came with grace and truth. I live in the dispensation of God's grace. But in this text, he says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. 
looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify his own special people, purify for himself his own special people, zealous of good works. He tells us that the grace of God teaches us. Now, I asked you to tell me why your favorite teacher was your favorite teacher. And we got a lot of different answers. But when we break down the idea of what the word teaching means, it really gives us a lot of different aspects. The word teaching here is in the present tense. So it means the grace of God continues to teach us. It didn't happen back at salvation and we don't have it anymore. I know I was saved by grace at one time, but this talks about the grace of God continuing to teach us. The word teach here means to discipline, to instruct. Okay. How many of your teachers have good teachers, the teachers that you love, told you no? Told you that's not correct. In, ca- in my case, F circled with a smiley face. I don't know. Sometimes I thought they took pleasure in that. But, but think about this. The word teach here is to discipline, to instruct, to correct, to train, to chasten. Interesting. It's interesting because it's used in other places. Um, when, when Moses, when he was in Egypt, it says in Acts 7.22, Moses was educated, same word, in the ways of the Egyptians. Okay, well, discipline, um, order, instruction, all of that was part of it. Paul was educated, Acts 22.3, under Gamaliel which involved memorizing the Old Testament and the laws, all that went into that as a Pharisee. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 7 says about God's children, that whom He loves, He does what? He chastens. Interesting. And yet we come back to this passage and it says this, For the grace of God has appeared to all men. We're excited about the grace of God. We love the grace of God. God's unmerited favor. But then it goes on to tell us, and it goes to drill drill down deeper, teaching us something. Now, what I want to do here, because he tells us what he's going to teach us, and I'm going to go through that, but I want to ask that he teaches. And I want to just briefly hit that. How does God teach us? Well, one way is that he teaches us through his word. We're told in 2 Timothy chapter 3, all scriptures given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for training, or instruction in righteousness. That the man of God might be perfect, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So God uses the word of God to teach the believer, us. That's how we know truth. It's not CNN or Fox or People magazine. The word of God is the truth of God. And it doesn't change. I change. You change. 
The society changes. It does not. It's like that anchor. We need an anchor, and the Word of God teaches us. Number two, and I want to look at this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, God teaches us through other people. Wow, that's interesting. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and following. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercy and the God of all comfort. Okay? Who comforts us, follow this this line of thinking here, who comforts us in our tribulation or trials, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So God, the God of all comfort, the God of all encouragement, and that word comfort means to come alongside, the God of all comfort comforts me and you when we are going through a difficult time, And the comfort that he gives us, the encouragement, the coming alongside of us, we take that same comfort because we've seen God work in our lives and he takes us and our friend is struggling. He puts us in their lives and that same comfort is taking place there. See, God works, God teaches us how? Through the scriptures. God also teaches us through what? Each other. That's why the church, the body of Christ is so important. At BBI, one of the most beautiful things to me is how differently each of our our, uh, workers, employees, whatever, team members, however you want to put it, have different gifts and abilities. I am thankful for Pastor Lynn, who took a huge pay increase to come to BBI. Uh, Listen to him laugh. He can even laugh about it. I'm talking to him about coming on part-time, and I'm we're meeting at uh, Olive Garden, and I'm thinking, I don't know what this guy says, because what I, what I got to offer ain't much. But the Lord was working in his heart. But the fact of the matter is, um, God uses the body of Christ to minister to the body of Christ. Someone has said, you know, you and I are Jesus to someone else. And I don't know that I care a whole lot for that illustration, but the, the kind of the concept is true. We are his ambassadors and his representatives. So the, the grace of God teaches us, but how does God teach us through his word, through others? What about the fact that Paul says in, in, in Romans 5, tribulation works patience, and patience hope. God uses the trials and tribulations that you go through. How many of you enjoy going through trials and tribulations? Okay, God, I see that hand. God bless you. Stay away from that guy. No, 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 it, it just, it's hard. It's hard. Life is hard. But do you know something? We don't grow. We don't grow unless we go through trials and tribulations. You don't. So he works through the Word of God. He works through other people. He works through the trials and tribulation. And you know what else? And it's kind of the icing on the cake is he works through his love and grace. The love of Christ compels us. Because we thus judge, if one died for all, then then all were dead. And those, those who live, those who now live, should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose on their behalf. 
See, how God works is he works through people. He works through the word. He works through trials. And he works through his love. But in this passage, it doesn't say how. It says the grace of God that brings salvation to all men um, teaches us, disciplines us, chastens us, directs us, instructs us to deny ungodliness. The first way or the first issue that God deals with us on in this passage is he tells us to deny ungodliness. The word deny means to refuse, disown, or repudiate. It means to completely walk away from it. Not to entertain it, not to hold it, not to hug it, but to walk away from it, repudiate it. That's not a part of my life. In other places in Scripture, Paul says, put off, put on. Take off the clothes of unrighteousness. Put on the clothes of righteousness. He says to deny ungodliness. The word ungodliness here, we would immediately say ungodliness without God. We'd be right. But it also involves a lack of reverence for God. And one commentator said this, it's taking God out of the picture. Now let me take that a little bit a step further. If you can imagine taking a portrait of your life, and that represents your life, and God is nowhere there. You've got motorcycles, you've got bank accounts, you've got retirement, you've got Florida vacations, you've got European, you've got grandkids, you've got everything, and God is nowhere. That's ungodliness. And oddly enough, he's writing to believers. Me and you. For the grace of God that has appeared to all men, that brings salvation to all men, teaches us to deny leaving God out of our lives. In other words, he wants us to have God in our lives. Deny ungodliness and worldly lust. And the worldly lust or worldly desires, there's a number of things. Immediately we think of sexual or sensual, and that's true. Paul deals with that a lot, by the way. He told Timothy in 1 Timothy to keep yourself pure. But he's also, we can also say that when we talk about denying ungodliness and worldly lust or desires, it could be attitude, it could be pride. This morning I'm reading through Proverbs, Proverbs, what is it, 24th? I was reading Proverbs 24. He warns against riches and seeking and pursuing riches. He warned Timothy of that as well. It could be anger, it could be hate, it could be discontent, it could be greed. To deny ungodliness and worldly lusts, worldly desires. Could be, you know, covetousness. My neighbor has a new truck. I want a new truck. Oh, forgive me, I was being covetous there. But you know what I mean? That can be an attitude of, you know, and you know, those attitudes change us. They make us pursue things that we shouldn't be pursuing, or they make us not content with what God's doing in our lives. You ever heard the statement, the grass is always greener? And then when you get to the other side where the grass is, it's not any greener than what you were on. Sometimes it's kind of brown. The grace of God teaches us, that brings salvation, teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. The next aspect of what the grace of God teaches us, it teaches us to deny, it also teaches us to live. Oh, this is good. 
the grace of God teaches us to live, to deny ungodliness and worldly lust, that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly. The word live there is not to exist simply. We all know people who are just existing. Some of them, medically, they can only exist. And they're, they're, that's where they're at. That's where probably I will be at some point. But I want you to think about this. Is he talking about quality of life or quantity of life? He's talking about quality. He's not talking about quantity. Nobody, this is the second book. This is the second to the last letter that Paul wrote. Before he would be executed, he would be beheaded by Nero. He's not talking about quantity, folks. He's talking about quality. To live. There's a song, um, there's a group that, that uh, maybe many of you recognize when I read it, a song that they wrote several years back. Uh, the, the title of the song by Casting Crowns is the song Thrive. I, wanna, I want you to listen to these lyrics. I know that there's a lot of music out there that you wouldn't give a dollar for or a dime for, but some of it are the psalms of our day. He says this, the, the title is Thrive, it says this, Just to know you and to make you known, we lift your name on high. Shine like the sun, make the darkness run and hide. We know that we were made for so much more than ordinary lives. It's time for us to more than just survive. We were made to thrive. Into your word we're digging deep to know our Father's heart. Into the world we're reaching out to show them who you are. So living waters flow through. God, we thirst of more of you. Fill our hearts and, our, and flood our souls with one desire. Just to know you and to make you known. We lift your name on high. Shine like the sun. Make the darkness run and hide. We know that we were made for so much more than ordinary lives. It's time for us to more than just survive. We weren't made just to survive. We were made to thrive. Paul says the grace of God that teaches us, brings salvation, teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust, but to live soberly of sound mind with discretion in great care. Paul said in 2 Timothy 1.7 to Timothy, God has not given you the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. God wants us to think biblically. How do we live in a world that is completely going opposite? The same way God has wanted His people from the beginning. Trust in Him and what He has said. From the beginning. It hasn't changed. All the junk, all the isms, all the junk that's going on there, that's not going away. Until the Lord calls us home, it's not going away. No matter how much you like it or, I don't, or how much you don't like it or how much I don't like it. But what's remaining is God and His Word to live soberly. And then he says righteously or upright. I love what David said in Psalm 19. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart 
be pleasing unto you. Now think about that. The words of my mouth, what I say, and what's inside. Because we can say one thing, and what's inside is completely different. Paul says that we might live soberly, discernment, wisdom, that we might live righteously, upright, and being and what we do is approved by of God, and also what we think. And then he says, "Godly." And the idea of godliness here is that there is a an inward holiness or being set apart to God, where His character comes out. You'll remember in Galatians chapter five where he talks about the works of the flesh, but he also talks about what the fruit of the Spirit. You know what? When I go up to an apple tree that has apples on it and I grab an apple or a pear or whatever the tree is, that's fruit that comes out of that apple. It's an expression of that apple, of that tree. It's the fruit from the tree. When we see the Spirit of God working in our lives, the fruit of the Spirit is because His work is done inside. And the fruit that is born out of you for you and me is love, joy, peace. All of that comes from the work of God, from from not quantity of life. Don't worry about how long you've got. Worry about the fact that you've got today. That we might live soberly and righteously and godly in this present age. Today. Deny. Live. And then he says to look. Looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. Part of our our Christian existence is not only worship and service, but it's also anticipation. That we're looking for the blessed hope. We're looking for His return. Dispensationally speaking, Paul says this age, we are in the dispensation of grace. And when the rapture of the church comes, the blessed hope that we're looking for comes. The dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. 1 Thessalonians 4. But until that time, we are to look. And it's interesting, in my notes, I was going over them this morning, and I have this note that says, this is the next thing on God's redemptive plan for the dispensation of grace. Notice I didn't say. But you know what? It's not the next thing. The next thing is that we deny ungodliness and worldly lust and we live soberly righteously today. We don't have to, work, we don't have to wait for an event that is coming and he, he tells us to look for it to know that God's at work today. God wants to use me today. God wants to use you if you're a parent today, if you're a grandparent today, if you're a wife, if you're a husband. Today, it does, it's not tomorrow, it's not the next day. The grace of God that brings salvation teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust, to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, and to look for the glorious appearing, the blessed hope. You know what's interesting? The word hope. When we think of hope, we think of, I hope it happens. You know, I hope, I hope that I get, the, I hope I get my tax refund in the mail. I hope it comes today. What if it doesn't? Well, maybe it'll come tomorrow. I hope tomorrow. When we hope, we think of something and it may or may not happen. 
that's not the hope of Scripture. The hope of Scripture is a, is a confident expectation of a future reality. We can trust God that he's coming back because he's, he's, he's trustworthy. Now, he doesn't always tell us when. And Paul in his day, I believe, believed that the Lord would come back in his day. But you guys know this well as I do. God does not work on my timetable or yours. He just doesn't. Thankfully, he works on his. And I'll take his over mine any day. He teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust, to live soberly, righteously, and godly, and to look for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. Let's look at our text again. And then he reminds Titus, and he reminds us, he says, who gave himself for us. That he might redeem us from every lawless deed that he might purify us for himself or purify for himself his own special people zealous of good works. I love the songs that we sang this morning, particularly one, and I can't quote it, the love of God. Folks, get that out of your, get your, get your, at some point, get the hymnal and read the lyrics to the love of God. It's so much big, or so much bigger than we could ever imagine. So much more vast than any ocean, than any higher than any mountain, deeper than any sea. The love of God. And this verse here tells us, who gave himself for Robert, for Dan, for Doug, for Linda, for Sonia, for you. But he doesn't stop there. And a lot of believers stop there. I got saved when I was 14. But you know what? It's called eternal life. And eternal life doesn't start when you die. It starts when you live. And I got saved at 14 and I passed from death to life. Not because I was any great shakes. I was a lost sinner who got saved by the grace of God. But it just begins. My life in Christ, my eternal life started at the age of 14. He said, look at, let's look at the text. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself. He redeemed us but he purifies us for himself. For we are his own, the old King James says, peculiar people. I have the new King James, own special people, distinct people. Zealous of good works. He teaches us to deny ungodliness, to live soberly, righteously, and godly, to look for the blessed hope. And the last one is to serve. What are good works? Good works are acts of God working through us to serve him and to serve others on behalf of him. It's interesting. A sign of spiritual maturity 
is this, and this is something I put together. A sign of spiritual maturity in a believer and a church is that there is a desire to impact the lives of others. There is an outward-looking focus that wants to take the Lord Jesus to the world. Use their gifts and abilities and resources to answer God's call of being salt and light. See, maturity is not based on just how much you know. You and I could know a lot and be dead as a hammer. Maturity is not just doing a lot of busy work because you can do a lot of busy work in the name of God and be bitter and angry because not everybody else is doing as much as you. That's working in the flesh. But you and I can serve our Savior who saved us and redeemed us and purified us that he would create in us and other believers a special distinct people that are excited and zealous for good works. I want to close in prayer, but I just want to close with this statement. I asked you right at the beginning about your teacher that you enjoyed. And my teacher meant a lot to me, and teachers for that matter. But you and I are still being taught. And the best teacher we could ever have is the wonderful, matchless, and awesome grace of God. Because just how much we loved, just how much I loved Janet Cannell and how special she was to get me to go to school and all that she did, I didn't have one teacher that would die on a cross for me. I didn't have one teacher who would be buried and rise again. I didn't have one teacher that could guarantee that I'd have eternal hope in him. And I didn't have one teacher that tells me that he loves me in his grace in spite of myself. You know what? The the word grace means unmerited favor. Let me just tell you this. I I know a lot of you. I don't know all of you. But you don't deserve a drop of it. Nor do I. And God's grace pours on us like we were standing under Niagara Falls. I don't know how many, I could have looked it up. I don't know how many gallons flows over Niagara Falls, but can you imagine standing? You would be crushed under grace. And we are crushed under grace every day. What a way to be crushed. Father, we thank you for our time together here. We thank you for your word. And we just praise you for this church and and I pray for the staff and, and all those who are here, Father, make up this body, your body. We thank you, Father, because this this. While this was written to Titus, it's written to me. It's written to us. Lord, I pray that I take it to heart. And I pray that we all do. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.